Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen and joining me today are Devendra Hardwar, Jeff Kanata, and joining us also she is the deputy entertainment editor at Mashable.com, Angie Han. Welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Angie, how are you tonight? I'm great. I'm very happy to be here. Happy to have you on. And uh, so today is actually the first day we're kind of switching up the format of uh, the Slash Filmcast. And uh, we are going to be doing one in-depth review of our movie uh, of the week, which is going to be Birds of Prey uh, and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Although, live, die, repeat style, apparently they've been changing the title of this movie. Do you guys see uh, mm-hmm. that they've been they've been changing the title because Birds of Prey is actually a pretty confusing title? Um, but uh, it is now Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey. So okay. hopefully that'll make things Nothing fantabulous anymore? Nothing yeah. fantabulous anymore. It's just Harley Quinn, Birds of yeah. Prey. But we'll talk oh about after God. You the had box all... office was not so fantabulous. They had to be like, okay, we can't we can't live with this title. It's not fantabulous. <laughs> I think you they had... had actually also dropped the fantabulous title at some point a while yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Jeff, where, where, where did I have you? You, did I... you had me all uh, geared up to say the entire lengthy title at every <laughs> moment. Yeah, yeah. you we need to fit that it. into your limerick, Jeff. And now I'm like, gonna the have whole to... title. Yeah. yeah, I worked really hard. Now I'm just throwing that in the garbage. Yeah. Of... <laughs> I'm going to have to just call it Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey the entire time. So Angie, on last week's episode of the Slash Filmcast, Jeff committed to saying the entire title every time the movie was mentioned on this episode. Um, oh. But uh, since it's changed a bunch of times, I think he's probably going to not do that, even though he did all the vocal exercises to make it happen. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like that was a cruel joke on your part, because by last week, they had definitely already changed it to Birds of Prey. <laughs> so if nobody told him not to do that, then that was just you guys being mean to poor Jeff. Oh. Thank you, Angie. <laughs> Finally, someone understands what this I go Jeff through. Jeff doesn't want any spoilers, so I think uh, a title change may, maybe it's a spoiler to Jeff. I don't know. I don't know anymore. All right. All right. Well, in any case, after our <laughs> review, we're going to do an After Dark uh, where we discuss the Oscars. Um, so a lot of stuff. Ha- I-, I think we'll have a lot to say about the Oscars. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. So let's dive in and get to our review of Birds of Prey. The Joker and I broke up. I wanted a fresh start. But it turns out I wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation. Spectacular news! Miss Quinn, she belongs to me. Who are you guys? was from the trailer of Birds of Prey, a.k.a. Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, a.k.a. Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. 
I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. After splitting with the Joker, Harley Quinn joins superheroes Black Canary, Huntress, and Renee Montoya to save a young girl from an evil crime lord. You know, uh, folks, this weekend I, I got to see a movie that had a budget of around $90 million. It opened to around $30 million, uh, and it was described as a huge success by all of the trades. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, that's I've gotten my notes mixed up. That's actually uh, my notes from our week where we did Ford v. Ferrari. No, no, no. Uh, this week, actually, uh, the uh, budget was the same and the amount of money was the same, but the movie was deemed a failure. So uh, I don't know what's going on, but suffice to say, uh, the movie made around $30 million. People didn't think that was very much. Big come down from Suicide Squad, although I think for uh, a movie with this character uh, and with this budget level, you know, it didn't cost $200 million. It's, it's doing pretty well. Uh, I, I would say, Dave, that uh, it is ridiculous on the face of it, that that data point that you bring up and you can read a lot <laughs> into it. But, you you know, as well as I know, that the truth of the matter is it's all about expectation. It, and the Birds of Prey was expected to make much more than that. And F- Ford v. Ferrari was not expected to make that much. It was expected to be Oscar bait. And. So that really explains the interpretation of the same monetary value in two different ways. I guess my my encouragement, Jeffrey, is just uh, question where these expectations are coming from. Question the expectations. Uh, But in any case, let's get to the actual movie itself. Angie Han, uh, I'm curious what your relationship has been with the Harley Quinn character. Is this a character you're a fan of? Did you like Margot Robbie's performance of her in Suicide Squad? Were you looking forward to seeing a movie that featured this character? And then what do you think of the final film overall? Well, first of all, that is several questions in a row. So I will go one by one. <laughs> what did a run-on I... question. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it really was, Dave. You got you to gotta get better at that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't grow up being like a huge Harley Quinn fan or anything. I was aware of her. I didn't have any, I didn't dislike her or anything. I just didn't have any strong feelings about her either way. That said, when Margot Robbie played Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad, I thought she was fantastic in that movie. I mean, the movie itself obviously has quite a few problems, but one Mm -hmm. of, but her performance in it was not one of them. I thought she was a real standout. So I was uh, very curious to see where they were going to go with her after that. And where they went with her is this movie, which I'm not even going to bother saying the title because we don't know what it is. Um, (laughs) I thought this movie was, was solid. It wasn't, it didn't knock my socks off, but it also wasn't something that I walked out being like, Oh, well that that was very disappointing. It leans into suicide squad a lot more than I thought I would. And I think one of the biggest surprises was how well it worked despite being more connected to suicide squad than I thought it would be. All right. So overall, you thought it was fine, which I think is uh, uh, kind of uh, pretty close to what the general consensus is, I think, is about this movie. Yeah. Uh, the, the new title for Birds of Prey is It's Fine. It's fine. Not the fantabulous <laughs> journey. It's fine. Fine it's, colon a movie. Birds <laughs> of Prey and the, it, and the totally fine emancipation <laughs> of one Harley Quinn. Yes. Indeed. indeed. All right. Devinder Hardwar, your thoughts on the movie? Yeah, uh, kind of echoing Angie's thoughts here. I found it, it's a fun movie, but I think also pretty uneven. Uh, Actually, the movie I had in mind as I kept watching this was uh, Scott Pilgrim. And I think these are both films about, like, they're very energetic 
you know, sometimes comedic films with a lot of action, uh, they shift from different styles too. like there's animation in this. Um, this movie is all over the place and I wish it had maybe a little more control over how it did it. Like there are flash forwards and flashbacks in ways that confuse me. And then the movie references, Oh, Hey, are you confused? Yes, I am confused. Um, when you're doing that with like a big action scene, there's a scene where she goes and blows up like a police squad, which I guess we can, we could talk about in spoilers or something, but it was, it felt like the most random thing to come out of nowhere. And the last thing you want for an action scene is to have like those stakes and no idea what's happening. Um, there is some fun stuff. And I think the action later on, especially like the hand to hand stuff gets to be really fun. There's some really great choreography uh, between all the characters, really, especially Harley Quinn. But I think Huntress gets a lot of action. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, also from Scott Pilgrim. Um she is a lot of fun in this movie. And I kind of enjoy how they have fun with her character uh, as the sort of like a uh, stereotypical Kill Bill revenge story. And they kind of make light of that, even though even though the movie's doing that, I also really enjoyed her performance and her character. I wish uh, there was more of her in the movie. Um, we'll talk more about like specific actors, but I really, I really want to know what is happening with Christmas Hina in this movie, because I, I love this guy. First of all, like I've loved him from like the Mindy Project and uh, what was it? Sharp Objects. Like this is a guy that, you know, he is. First of all, I, had to, I did a double take because I was not following the press for this movie. I was like, is that Christmas Cena? Just like being a weird lapdog for Ewan McGregor's character. Oh, it sure is. It what he's sure doing is. in this movie is being the prettiest Batman associated villain since Killian <laughs> Murphy in Batman Begins. He really is. He's also <laughs> basically doing what that henchman from wow. Mission Impossible 2 was doing just like being really, really like, oh man, I actually love this villain guy and just like being in love with him. Uh, I did have the feeling about Ewan McGregor's character. Um, just like the feeling I had watching the gentleman. Uh, I, is this, is this anti-gay? I don't know. This is another thing where it's like, I, wh why is this villain just foppish for no reason? I don't understand what's happening here. He at least seems to be having fun with it. Uh, I think the movie overall, like there, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I, it probably didn't need to be close to two hours long. I feel like if this was a tight 90 minutes and just kept up that energy, it would have been a lot better. All right. Uh, also, Angie, I love that reference to Killian Murphy because yes. it calls to mind that basically you've been secretly ranking every uh, actor in the <laughs> in the DC universe uh, up until this point in, in terms of prettiness. Is that right? I, I That is not what I said. What I said is he's <laughs> the prettiest Batman-associated villain since Killian Murphy in Batman Begins because Killian Murphy in Batman Begins was so damn pretty that I had trouble paying attention to what was happening in the movie when he was on. I'm more of a, a yes. I'm more of a, a Bane yes. man myself. I'm just gonna put that out there. You, you know? think he's the prettiest villain since? You think he's prettier than Christmas Cena and Birds of Prey? Or what do you want? I mean, he's well. <laughs> he's certainly well built. Can we acknowledge that? I didn't at least? say he wasn't well built. I'm, we're talking about pretty. Do you, you think really Bane? You don't really see his face, really. So you can just you can kind of use your imagination as a thing, no. which is something I prefer. Okay. Uh, anyway, Jeff. Dave, no. <laughs> Jeff Kanata. Uh, your thoughts on Birds of Prey slash whatever the hell the movie's called at this point? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey <laughs> are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Oh, nice. And before I say my limerick, I do want to say uh, <laughs> I think Angie needs to be on way more often because <laughs> she is the only one that has given it to you as you deserve it to be given. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, we try, okay? We, we try, but we've just sort of been beaten into submission at this point. You know, just it's just it's like yelling at a brick wall, you know. But Angie found uh, he she found the 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 uh, the flaws in that wall, the the yeah. the, the weak points in yes. the wall, and she's exploiting them. I've known Dave for so long, and I've been giving him crap. Every single day that I've known him. She has been just, verbally savaging me for almost two decades at this point. So. I love her for it. All right, and now I, you're just aging. Uh, <laughs> and I, so just want, I just want her to be here more often. That's all I'm saying. All right, fair enough. All right. Thank limerick. you, Jeff. Here comes the limerick. <laughs> <laughs> DC movies cause debates, but I can tell you this one rates pretty high, and the reason why is action scenes in roller skates. Ah. That was, a, that was a pretty okay. rough uh, meter there on that limerick. I death. know. Hey, I had to do that. <laughs> I had to throw out my old one. I do that in four minutes. Do you really have an old one? And if so, can we hear it? I'm not, I'm not going to give Dave the satisfaction. <laughs> um, I'm shocked that I seem to be the person that liked this movie the most because I didn't really like this movie that much. But I feel like I liked it more than everybody so far. Um, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. yeah, I liked it too. I think um, I, th- I think this movie is is fun, and you guys have both said that it's fun. It is fun, and I think for me the action sequences are worth the price of admission. Uh, it's uh, it, it, I, they are really cool. I mean, th- we'll talk about specifics and spoilers, but the movie realizes that we can have a really fun, wacky time in the context of doing stuff that's cool. And I had somebody say to me as I you know came out of the movie uh, i was i was talking to some friends and that hadn't seen it and they said you know what is it worth seeing and, and is it is it dc's deadpool and i went no no it is not dc's deadpool so don't think it's not that fun <laughs> you know what i'm saying and i think it could have been it could have really gone there and the movie flirts with that you know uh, davindra kind of mentioned some of the um, time manipulation and talk, saying things out of order and mm-hmm. kind of the uh, unfaithful or the um, untrustworthy narrator. What's the what's the phrase I'm looking for? Unreliable. Unreliable. Yeah. Yes, unreliable narrator. I, I wish it had leaned into that more. I wish it had been willing to go a little more Deadpool-y with it with the narrative. I think the plot of this movie is pretty dumb and pretty. Thin. Oh yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate because it could have been a much better movie as it is. It's just a, it's just a fun movie and it's enough fun that I would recommend seeing it. And I think visually it's interesting. Um, I think the action sequences are shot really, really well and it's fun watching you and McGregor play the Joker because uh, you know, we've seen certain characters play the Joker before and a lot of, a lot of different Jokers through time. And it's cool seeing you and McGregor play the Joker uh, for the first time, which is, you know, I love you and McGregor. He's always good, and it's awesome that he gets to play the Joker in this movie. <laughs> uh, you know, Jeff, I, I hate to be a stickler to the facts on this hmm. podcast, but I don't think he actually played the Joker in this movie. Um, I think he played an entirely different character. Yeah. You're telling that, that, me that... <laughs> there's a little mask going on there. Yeah, You're telling me that a character who dresses in wild pastel suits <laughs> and is constantly laughing as he does ridiculous things... And has a, a henchman and a, a weird mansion that's full of uh, goofy props. 
Well, Isn't see, the he Joker? Collects, he collects art, you see. I don't mm. think the, the Joker was much of a fan of the art. But he's grinning and laughing as he's doing all the... And he <laughs> manipulates... He's not... Hmm. Not everyone who smiles and manipulates people is the Joker, Jeff. But this is a DC <laughs> movie about Harley Quinn. Surely he must be the Joker. Because... I will say that while watching the movie, it felt like... I walked out feeling like, oh, it's obvious that they needed this to be an arc about her leaving the Joker, but for whatever mm -hmm. reason, they couldn't put the Joker in the movie. So then instead they replaced him with this other guy who is not the Joker, but ser serves as a weird narrative stand in for the Joker. Yeah. It, this movie really, really wants to erase Jared Leto's Joker yeah. from the canon. Uh, and don't we all, I mean, it do, to the point where it literally any visual of the Joker is closer to like, uh, you know, the Joker from the old Batman <laughs> 60s show than it is to anything Jared Leto was doing. Um, but it's, it's you know, I, I'm i being honest when I say I think Ewan McGregor is always great, even when he's in bad stuff. I think he's fun to watch in this. Mm -hmm. and But it is very similar to what, if, if he had been <laughs> cast in the joke as the Joker, I think he would have basically <laughs> done this performance. Uh, so I think it was Matt Singer at his review at ScreenCrush.com of this movie where he said, he says here, quote, um, uh, everyone in the movie talks about Joker constantly. It gives Birds of Prey a weird, vaguely Poochie-esque energy where the people <laughs> we're watching are constantly talking about some dude who's not even in the movie, end quote. So uh, for those who don't know who Poochie is in, in the uh, Simpsons, season eight, episode 14, uh, there was an episode called The Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie Show where, like, a character named Poochie was introduced to Itchy and Scratchy. And, like, Homer Simpson had all these notes for for what uh, Poochie should do. Like, he said, like, you know, Poochie should, oh, should be in more scenes. And when he's not in the scene, everyone should be asking, where's Poochie? You know? And that's kind of what's going on in this movie in the sense that the the absence of Joker hangs over this movie uh, in a pretty significant way, in my opinion, uh, he, yeah. he's kind of like, uh, weirdly not in the, in the sense that like the Joker is doing all these crimes that would be relevant to the plot of this movie. Uh -huh. Um, but he is kind of the, the animating, uh, force behind what Harley Quinn's actions are. And so it, it is funny how the idea of the Joker is more interesting and compelling than <laughs> Jared Leto's actual Joker performance. Yeah. I, I think it makes a lot of sense that they didn't want to put Joker in this movie because they, yeah, I don't know if yeah, you guys yeah. know this, but there was just a Joker movie that came out that mm. didn't star Jared Leto and it made what? over a billion dollars. I've never heard of this movie. Who was in it? <laughs> it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards and won one last night. Yeah, by a famous what? vegan, a famous <laughs> vegan. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I and I can understand like if um, people hadn't seen Suicide Squad or uh, they're just watching this and it's like, well, I just saw the Joker. Why isn't Joaquin the Joker in this movie? You know, I could see These that timelines being... are a mess. What is, is happening? It is pretty funny to imagine the character from that Joker movie <laughs> dating this Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah, that would be. <laughs> you know, because famously that Joker is all about a guy who. Pretty much can't date anybody. He and, uh, he, but, and he's not having fun in that movie. You know, he's right. not having fun in the movie Joker. Uh, right. Certainly not as much fun as Jared Leto is having in Suicide Squad. Yeah, the idea so. that that guy would have a room with a big slide <laughs> and, uh, you know, it doesn't really fit. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really work. So I, I can understand why the filmmakers just completely avoided it altogether. It's, it struck me as a very sensible decision. Uh, okay, I'll just say my thoughts and then we can get to spoilers. Uh, I thought this movie was pretty good. Uh, not 
uh, not bad, not great. Certainly not the the Deadpool of uh, of the DC universe. Uh, Margot Robbie is just awesome. In this role, yeah, like yep. I have uh, my first introduction to Harley Quinn was through Batman the Animated Series. Uh, apparently, this is a character that was like created in the early nineties and um, yeah. and you know became a part of the comics shortly after that. And uh, so, but like the definitive kind of depiction of Harley Quinn was in Batman the Animated Series. And in my opinion, Margot Robbie embodies that sensibility so much. Like it, it feels like a perfect live action incarnation of that character. So I think she's awesome. And not only that, but you remember how Rogue One is, you know, I don't know what your opinion of Rogue One is. Angie, are you a Rogue One fan? Are you a not Rogue One fan? What are your thoughts? I liked it. I wouldn't say I loved it. I think one of the things that I appreciate about Rogue One is that arguably, depending on how you feel about this, arguably, it makes Star Wars Episode Four make more sense. Right? Because it's like, oh, well, there was this weakness. Why would they design this extremely valuable weapon with this ridiculous weakness? And then in Rogue One, they actually explain, actually, it was part of this plan to to do that. And it's like, oh, okay, that makes more sense now. Just like how when I saw Star Wars, the original movie, I was like, it's so weird that 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 Han's last name is Solo. I hope there's a whole movie that explains (laughs) that. Angie. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You've. I've turned on. You're no longer. You're no longer welcome here. It's bound to happen. Uh, I um. Uh. So I would say this is a movie, Birds of Prey, that retroactively makes Suicide Squad make more sense because. Uh, no, it's like a go too far, Dave. Suicide Squad yeah. is a catastrophe of a movie, but. Uh, what's amazing about Suicide Squad is they're hiring all these people to join this Suicide Squad. You know, you got the guy who can make fires with his hands, and um, <laughs> Will Smith plays that guy who's a super yeah. sharp sharpshooter. And then there's the guy, the guy who can climb walls, the but guy not, who can climb you anything. Want. You know, and all these people, and and then it's like Harley Quinn, an insane person. Uh, and it's like, well, why would you hire this person? It doesn't make any sense. After you watch this movie, you're like, oh, I, I can, I actually get it now. I actually understand. <laughs> Why that person would be useful in a Suicide Squad? Um, I, also I can't feel wait. Like this movie has her building off of the skills that she learned in Suicide Squad, like how to uh, put together a Suicide Squad. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. What were you going to say? I was just going to say I can't wait for all the other movies to explain to make it even <laughs> more sense. That the uh, wall climbing guy movie. And, well, uh, I mean, guys, dead. <laughs> I know, but we we see the movie about him, and we realize, oh, he was essential. To the Suicide Squad, I get it. You it's, start yes, with him falling, and he lives a whole life in those it two makes, hours. It, it makes no, his it death all the more tragic. You yeah, know? it could be a prequel. Yeah. It could be a prequel, like exactly. Rogue One. We yeah. were just yeah. saying exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's why you know when they say you know many many people gave their lives for these plans in Episode Four. You go, ah, oh, I remember that. And that and then now in Suicide Squad, when <laughs> Climbing Guy dies, you'd be like, oh, Climbing Guy, I know so much about him and his backstory. First of all, first of all, just to make it clear. The character's name is Slipknot. I know no one remembers that, but I remembered. What is you forget? What is hilarious about that? That is by far when I think of Suicide Squad. Uh, I, that is the one kind of uh, moment of the movie that I remember. This character named Slipknot just getting introduced, and Joel Kinnaman saying, "Meet <laughs> Slipknot, the man who can climb anything." And then, literally ten minutes later, that character is killed. And it's like, <laughs> why? Why introduce him at all? It doesn't make any sense. Anyway. No, it's to establish the stakes so that you know it's a suicide mission. That's yeah, why they're called a, the Suicide Squad. This isn't everybody lives squad. Yeah, seriously. 
Okay, uh, and then the the other thing I'll say about this movie that I enjoyed is just uh, I thought the hand to hand combat was great. The the stunt coordination yeah. was apparently done by the company of Chad Stahelski, who is responsible for the John Wick movies. Yes. Um, Chad Stahelski himself was brought in to do some reshoots uh, on the action scenes, is my understanding, and. Uh, I, I thought he did a great job. There, there are, uh, I'll just say, not that many characters that have superpowers in this movie, and so uh, as a result, they they need to they need to give you the old razzle dazzle with something else, mm-hmm. and they decide to do that with uh, some really great hand to hand fight sequences. So I also feel like you can tell the exact scenes where Chad Stahelski like really spent some time too. Like there's some really there's one like fight in the in the police station where like there is choreography I've never seen before yeah. in my we'll, life, we'll, we'll and I've seen it. a lot. Of stuff. It's we'll, crazy. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So uh, anyway, there, there's a there's a bunch of things to enjoy in this movie, um, and uh, overall, I had a positive impression. A few things I didn't like, like number one, uh, the Fight Club esque narration, right? Where uh, as you guys have pointed out, the, she'll be talking, and then you'll you'll like literally reach a climax of an action scene, and then she'll be like, "Hold on for a second, let me talk about this thing that happened three months ago," and it's like, "Okay, okay I was kind of." I wanted to see where that was going, but it, it yeah. like grinds the movie to a halt in a uh, in a way that I don't think benefits it. Um, and so I wasn't wasn't really a fan of that, but uh, I, I thought overall the movie did a good job. We, we have more to talk about in spoilers, but before we get to that, we got to thank our sponsor for today, Native. Jeff, you want to tell people about Native? I would love to tell people about Native. It would I would prefer if they could just smell me. You know what I'm saying? Because that would give you everything you need to know. I wouldn't even have to talk if you just could smell me because I right now smell fantastic. You know what I smell like, guys? I smell like eucalyptus and mint, which are meaningless words to me. That's why I wish you could smell me. I don't I don't even know how to express it. It's my it's delightful. Uh, this hey is Jeff, my new hey Jeff. I'm wearing the same thing. So I feel like I'm smelling you right now. Whoa, we're <laughs> we're smell buddies. We're odor friends. We're, this is great. Um, <laughs> honestly, uh, Davinja and I are both wearing native deodorant right now. Uh, and really the beginning and the end of why is because of the way it smells. Now, there are other reasons to try native. Uh, there are the ingredients. It, this is a deodorant made with ingredients you've actually heard of, like coconut oil, shea butter, uh, People wear deodorants every day that <laughs> full of things that they don't even understand what the ingredients are. Uh, things like parabens and talc and aluminum. Uh, you know, you, you know, that's nice to have something that's actually made with ingredients that you've heard of. Uh, and it works. People dig it. They have um, over 9,000 five-star reviews from happy customers who made the switch to native. Um, my wife, really, much more than I has uh, good taste and good smell. And she has actually asked me to use my native deodorant before because she likes how it smells so much. We also have the coconut and vanilla, which is their most popular scent, uh, which is delightful as well. And there's a bunch. They have a lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, eucalyptus and mint. They have some special uh, uh, rotating ones sometimes, which is, which is pretty cool. And there's no risk to try. It's free shipping on every order. And Native offers 30 days free returns and exchanges in the United States. So check it out. Give them a shot. Uh, They have something for everybody. And you don't have any risk to try. Guess what? We're going to give you 20% 
off your first purchase. When you go to nativedeodorant.com and use the promo code FILMCAST during checkout. That is 20% off your first purchase by going to nativedeodorant, N-A-T-I-V-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com and then using that promo code FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, all one word, at checkout. I'm telling you, this is cool. Also, I have to tell you, they are about to, or they have just relaunched their toothpaste line. Um, so they're doing natural toothpastes, but that don't taste or feel like natural toothpaste. Some natural toothpastes are gritty and, and foam a lot and you know, aren't, aren't very pleasant. Not the native toothpaste. Um, they have two minty flavors. So I got toothpaste and deodorant at native. Check it out, native deodorant.com promo code filmcast let's get to spoilers for birds of prey starting right now now you're looking for the secret you're gonna see this coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not gonna see this coming you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it works you don't really want to work it out who's in the box i have been dying to tell you i want to tell you my secret now. you want to be so right away, yeah, Devendra, I just want to mention that scene at the police station is mm-hmm. um, amazing. Like the highlight of the movie, in my opinion. Where oh, I agree, dude. She's it's be, awesome. the, well, there are a couple, right? There's the fight scene at the police station, which I think is incredible. Like she does this move where she like fl- uh, like dives between a guy's legs and like flips him from behind him. It's, it's incredible. But there's also the shootout, like weird shootout where I was like, do these cops have guns? Do these cops like... Can they protect their own, you know, station? Because she's just she's just laying waste to them with like nothing. It's just hilarious. But it's, I That's love why the Batman color has so scene. much work. The cops, yeah, are yeah, the cops are real bad. <laughs> yeah, and Gotham being a cop is is a sweet gig because you're just like, uh, we basically all we do is turn on this lamp. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, the the scene when she walks into the police station with the beanbag slash grenade launcher slash whatever with this bandolier of all the cartridges and yeah. like she needs to like fight people while shooting them and then beating them up with the gun that she's using and then inserting the cartridges into the it's just it's an amazing piece of choreography that I, I just it's worth the price of admission alone in my opinion. I was very I love the color of it. Yeah, the color yeah. it's so great and the, the color, color of that. Color. Mm-hmm. explosion at the beginning of the chemical plant. I love I love how it embraces that <laughs> comic book palette. It's great. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But I will say like that scene, that's specifically what I was saying. Like it kind of that scene starts out of nowhere because we don't know the context of what she's doing in the police station. And I just feel like, you know, I I would like for, to, for that choreography to feel better to me. But it's like that's this thing where like if you don't set up the stakes of an action scene, if you don't know why something is happening and also like this is a police station. Like I said, they they have guns. They have weapons. Like they, you know, they, even in a comic book universe, I expect the police to put up more of a fight to one person coming in with a beanbag gun. But they just like ran away. People were just running away from her. She has a beanbag gun. People Come do on. kind of nonsense things all the time in this movie. They're yeah. like, like for instance, at the end of the movie when Roman Sionis is sending in his men. He sends in the first wave of men with no guns for some reason. <laughs> and then he wants later... to watch the fight. Okay. He heard about the good choreography. He needs to watch the fight. And then later on, the women, like, they, they kick all their asses and they're, they're kind of like walking out in this kind of right stuff esque shot with their being badasses. Yeah. And then they walk right into this wave of gunfire. It's like, didn't you remember that there are Roman Sionists out there? Like, what was going on with that? Anyway. Uh, yeah, so, they literally look out the window. They see like dozens of people. They beat up like 12 of them. And then they're like, well, we're done. We're we done. Just, 
let's walk just, out now. Yeah, like, let's just walk little... outside. No, no worries there. Uh, so kind kind of weird, kind of weird. But I think it is pretty funny that uh, as <laughs> Jeff kind of was indicating with his monologue there that like. Joker is not in this movie, but they made this character, Roman Sionis, into somebody who is like he, Harley Quinn theoretically is a psychotic killer, right? Like, from my understanding of uh, her mythos, her origin story, and some of the stuff that she does in Suicide Squad. And they, uh, I think the movie really heavily downplays that, right? This movie really heavily is like, hey, this is not someone you need to be scared of. It's actually someone you should root for. Thumbs up is what I'm making. And then as a result, they have this character who is so evil that it's like he looks way better than her by comparison. Uh, And I think that is why he's as comically evil as he is, because if he was less comically evil, you'd be like, actually, he's preferable to Harley Quinn, you know, in terms of how bad he is. So I think that's just that was like an interesting they they just, uh, you know, my question for you, Angie, I guess, is at the end of this movie, is Harley Quinn someone you actually want to root for? Like, has has this movie changed her from being, quote unquote, bad guy to actually being good guy um, in in terms of like the, the comic book archetype? I don't know if I'd say that she's like a hero. It is she does become a character that you root for, but I felt that way about her in Suicide Squad as well. The premise of which was here are all these evil characters that you're going to root for. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this movie kind of try basically tries to continue her upward trajectory. Then, right? Um, what did you all think sure. of the relationship between her and Cassandra Kane uh, in in this movie, who is played by? Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, L.J. Basco, right? Yeah. Uh, like I, I, I kind of understood what they were going for, but at the end of the day, it didn't quite work for me because you're, you're supposed to believe, like, from my perspective, this is the central relationship of the movie that kind of helps Harley Quinn become less selfish and turn herself around. And there's some nice moments with her and uh, and Cassandra, like eating cereal uh, in their room and stuff. But I, I just didn't feel like I bought that that uh, that relationship was meaningful enough to turn her life around. Uh, I thought it was, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really cute relationship, but I think it suffers from a lot of the same problem that the rest of the movie does, which is that there's just so much going on here yeah. that it took me a long time to be like, oh, this is supposed to be really important. Like, this is the main storyline. <laughs> right. Like it, I, I, So I, I liked what we saw of it, but I wish that maybe there was like 40% less stuff so that we could focus on the things that matter more. It just seemed like this movie was trying to do way too much, as indicated by the several title changes where I can't decide if it's a Birds of Prey movie or a Harley Quinn movie or yeah. whatnot. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, Angie. I mean, this movie tries to, uh, tries to introduce, like reintroduce Harley Quinn back to audiences, but it also tries to be a Birds of Prey origin story. Uh, Jeff, are you familiar with Birds of Prey? Do you have a, do you have the understanding that you can... You can yes, I mean... Not I, I'm not you know steeped in DC lore like I am with the you know their distinguished competitor, but I uh, I'm you know aware of Black mm-hmm. Canary and those you know those it's characters. It's basically Huntress. like a team of uh, women crime fighters, right? That like I, I think yeah. Barbara Gordon was one of the co-founders of Birds of Prey. And, right, Batgirl, yeah. And it's, uh, I, I think it is weird. A, it's weird to title this movie Birds of Prey when the Birds of Prey are barely in the movie. Uh, you know, they're yeah. in maybe 10% of the movie. It was like an afterthought at the end of the movie, it almost feels like. Right, and but, then yeah. Harley Quinn is not in the Birds of Prey, as far as I can understand, right? 
So this is the, you know, I think from one perspective, this is the birds of prey origin movie. This is how they all meet. This is, they come together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I buy it, but it is, it does feel more like a Harley Quinn movie than it does that movie. It, it feels like two movies that are sort of competing with one another at a certain point. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I, I just feel like even all these questions and discussions about the plot, I just go, I, it's not even, it just yeah. doesn't even stand up enough to even. That, that is most superhero movies though. I, I would feel like every Maybe. superhero movie is like hero, you know, avoids the villain or fights the villain who is fetching some weird object for, you know, some, some shit like yeah, it, it is. Mean, they're all the same at this point. I think it's really not helped by the thing that you guys have pointed out a few times already, which is the time jumping. I, mm-hmm. when I was watching it, I mean, I understand what they're going for. You can see how that, maybe the idea there was were in Harley Quinn's mind. She's a very kind of scatterbrained person. This is how she thinks. And I would buy that this is a character whose uh, mental or inner, inner, inner monologue kind of mm-hmm. does jump all the, over the place like that. But something about, I think the pacing was a little bit off so that it wasn't, it didn't feel like wacky and fun. It just felt kind of confusing. Like it would keep cutting away to the past for so long that I would forget we were in the past. And then when we got back to the present, I'd be like, wait, I'm sorry, what were we doing again? And it, yeah. you know, like I get where, what they were going for. I just don't think it quite works, but I also feel like I'm complaining about this movie a lot. And ultimately like these nitpicks, I did have, I did have fun with this movie. I will say finally, there's a movie that is centered on the idea that first of all, a bacon, egg, and cheese is a very special thing. And to have <laughs> that perfect have bacon, egg, a, and cheese. But you know. a bodega, bacon, egg, but and cheese. But a bodega, egg, and cheese. Yeah. New York. And it's like, <sighs> if, you, if you lose it, that is that ruins your day. Like, your whole day is just, like, gone. So I also love how, even by the end, like, her main thing against Renee Montoya, she's like, you, sandwich killer, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is the big personal problem she has with Renee Montoya. So that is hilarious. I do like, like, this movie really hangs on certain bits like that really well and it really built up that bacon egg and cheese so yeah shout out to that it's i mean it's literally a movie where one character goes when did she have time to change her shoes and then the movie's like you don't really care do you audience it's fine it doesn't matter but i think that's what's great that's that's something that's great about it though is like it embraces its over-the-top uh nature Mm -hmm. you know everything about the movie is over the top and I, I very few characters in the movie are like quote unquote playing it straight in the sense of like it's act, like they're they're not taking they understand what movie they're in I think and that's, yeah. that's, that's great but I also feel like I think the for me where it succeeds most are the action sequences because that's where the over the topness I think is 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 best realized yeah you know that se- that sequence toward the end where you have just that wonderful floating camera where all of the women are kicking ass in that crazy wacky room uh, and it's just the cameras just all over the place bopping in and out and they're using weird props and leaping off the, i was like oh this is the movie the, here we are yeah. you know and and, I, and the same thing with that police action sequence where it's you know just color and craziness mm-hmm. and you know uh, roller skates in, in a car and flipping back over the top all of that stuff works really really well because that's we're in this big comic book movie that it really is about being a comic book and then i feel like the plot and everything doesn't quite have the courage of its convictions doesn't quite go where it wants to go like if if all of that time jumpy stuff really was instead of going halfway if they really committed to it and it was just this insane you know a a person who has had a mental breakdown telling you a story (laughs) they were like 
what is it, what would it be like if Harley Quinn told you a story? It would be it would make you feel crazy. You know, I think that would be a kind of an int- more interesting movie, but they kind of just go halfway and it it falls flat, I think. Yeah, mm. it, it could have been sharpened up quite a bit. I will say uh, I brought up her name, Ontario. Shout out to Rosie Perez, by the way. I love that she is still around, still kicking ass in a great role like this. Like this is a role. Renee Montoya is a role Rosie Perez was born for. So I'm very glad she got to finally play her tough New York City cop in a Batman movie. And um, also Matt Singer, I believe, wrote a great piece about how this movie kind of has the energy of those Schumacher Batman movies and why that may be a good thing. And, you know, that energy is certainly something I had liked about those movies when I was a kid. I don't like them very much now, but I like the zaniness of those movies for sure. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I both liked and was a little bit disappointed by is that the Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn and Cassandra Cain, they're all so great when they finally come together at the end of the movie, but it doesn't happen till the end of the movie. So it takes a really long time to get there. And, you know, the payoff is good, but it, it also is over too fast. And it left me being like, oh, well, I felt like we just got to the good part. I feel like we finally just got to know like Huntress and Renee Montoya. And then now we're having to say goodbye to them until they decide to make a sequel. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a, a problem that I think with many uh, uh, modern franchise movies these, these days, or would-be franchise movies, is they are often setups for future films that never happen. Uh, I don't know if that is actually going to happen in this case. Like, if there will be a sequel, if there will be a Birds of Prey movie, we'll see. Uh, it's possible, but... Uh, They'd be too too busy working on the Ford v. Ferrari sequel. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Uh, so I want to acknowledge a couple comments in the, the chat room. We broadcast live as usual. Um, uh, somebody, Leighton Munson, uh, is suggesting that the movie should have been called Harley Quinn Dawn of Birds of Prey, which I think uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely would have been good. Mm-hmm. And also the fantabulous <laughs> construction of a team of superheroines. Yeah. <laughs> Dawn of and, uh, her. Yes. 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 Uh, that's, that's terrible. And then uh, also Cassandra Kane's uncle. Uh, the the actress who played Cassandra Kane, uh, her uncle is Rufio from Hook. Dante, Dante Bosco. Dante yes, Bosco. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, oh man, that's great. So good. That's great. Uh, uh, the uh, you guys were talking about the bodega sandwich earlier. I do want to just acknowledge that this is a very different version of Gotham than what we've seen in previous movies. Then sure. even yeah. even Joker, the uh, the version of Gotham and Joker, and certainly what we see in like Batman v Superman or Justice League. Uh, it's very grounded, right? I mean, it feels a lot like New York to me. And you, yeah. you two, like uh, Devendra and Angie, you're the ones that lived in New York. Like, is this what does this remind you of from a location perspective? It, it does feel like New York. Yeah. It, I don't know where they exactly they shot this, but this feels more New York than like the the Nolan Batman movies for sure. Yeah. But not like yeah. not like uh, not like Manhattan, you know, like one of the other boroughs, right? Yeah, it feels like uh, Brooklyn-y, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like not not now hipster expensive <laughs> Brooklyn. Like it it feels like the Brooklyn of people's imaginations from like the nineties or the eighties mm. or something like that. Yeah. And it does feel it does feel very New York y in a and in a way where I think I regularly forgot that it's not actually set in New York, that it's set in the fictional pretend version of New York. So mm-hmm. kudos to them. I mean the bodega sandwich, that was such a perfect detail. Have you guys had bodega sandwiches? Are they actually good? I've never had a bodega sandwich. Before. Dave, Dang. what are you? What are you? What are you even asking over here? 
I uh, wake Dave, up I was, and I have I a not... potato sandwich. Like it is, it is a way of life. I live and breathe them. Come on, I will get you one next time you're here. All right. I was not kidding when I said that bodegas and bodega sandwiches are the thing I miss yes. most about New York. And I say that in full recognition that one of my good friends from New York, Devinder Hardor, is on this very call. All right. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Well, let me let me tell you my experience of going to see this movie. I basically had like maybe I had 30 minutes to make the movie, right? And I, I gave myself a little buffer time because I knew when the trailers were on. So ran to the subway, but Stopped by my friendly bodega, got myself a little little turkey sandwich, hopped on the subway, ate that sandwich, made it to the movie with one minute to spare. That's that a is a New York story. Yeah. And I had my and then I had my sandwich. It was great. So brave. Beautiful. Harley Quinn would be proud. <laughs> so yeah. brave. <laughs> all right. You know, not so. all heroes wear capes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, including I've Harley Quinn from this movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, I did. Uh, also, shout out to Mary Elizabeth Winstead playing Huntress, aka the Crossbow Killer. Uh, that that character had like a really interesting backstory, you know, like with uh, growing up in the mob, and then like I guess yeah. I I kind of felt bad for the mob guy that saved her, you know, because it's like that's I, she probably grew up and then murdered all of his friends, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, he, I think he, 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 yeah, he kind of turned away from that. When yeah, he, 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 he turned away from that lifestyle after they started slaughtering innocents, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I do like how the Harley Quinn uh, narration of that is basically like her doing a Quentin Tarantino, you know, thing of like, oh yeah, they murder her full whole family and she was raised by the mob. Um, it was fun. And I also like how awkward Mary Elizabeth Winstead is as that character. It's like, oh, I, I gotta have my catchphrases, gotta have my name, gotta get people to know my name. I'm not the crossbow killer. I'm Huntress. I think that was, that was, she was honestly one of my favorite parts of the movie and specifically just how awkward she is because in a lot of ways, she's a familiar character. Like you hear her backstory and you're like, oh yeah, we've seen that backstory for so many like comic book characters over and over. So the way that Harley Quinn tells it, you know, fully tongue in cheek, fully aware of what a cliche it is, is really fun. And then when you actually meet her, you kind of, based on that backstory, you kind of expect her to be like, cool, like Batman, but she's a real dork, like Lego Batman. (laughs) Love it. Nice. I did find myself wondering, though, how exactly that all goes down. Because you you gun down the entire family, you know, <laughs> and everybody's there. All everybody's high fiving because they pulled it off. Listen, and they... listen, one guy volunteers, like, "Hey guys, I'll clean up. Don't worry <laughs> yeah, about it. He's Don't worry down, about it. He looks this. down. He sees the he sees the girl alive, and he's like, "I." I'll carry all the bodies out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys take a break. <laughs> I know it was super ex- exhilarating yeah. to gun down the entire family. Let's take a tight five, everyone. Everyone just... <laughs> I'm going to just... I'll haul these bodies down. Hey, uh, Tony, wh- why are you putting that body in your car? <laughs> um, you know, Maybe I don't want to... Yeah. <laughs> don't want to... You know, I don't want... I'm real a stickler for leaving, you know evidence want to get all the body well then why don't you put all the bodies in your car tony (laughs) okay i was gonna start with this one girl but i guess i'll do the whole family now in the car and then he's got body real bodies in his car and you can't get (laughs) stains like that out like fish you I mean, do if he knew ahead of time that a lot of people were going to die, he was going to have to car- cart out some bodies, then maybe he already covered all his seats in plastic. Mm, mm, yeah. Good thinking. Yeah, that's Re- good yeah. thinking. Otherwise, you got to go mean, that's full just... reupholstery and everything like that. It's it's expensive, is what. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to think that they're practical. Yeah, but the other thing I'll say about Huntress is that the fact that she's awkward is perfect because when you hear that backstory, it also makes sense that she is an awkward person. Mm. Like, what in that story <laughs> makes you think that she would have ever developed social skills? So I absolutely love that about her 
I did think there was some cool stuff with Huntress at the beginning too. Uh, first of all, a lot of crossbows to the throat in this movie, which I I, I realized. Wow, it I haven't a seen harder R than I thought it would be in terms of the violence. I think when I going in, I did not remember there was R at all, so I was very surprised. Where else do you shoot a crossbow? That's you shoot at the throat. That's what you do with a yeah, crossbow. It, it is what you, I realized. I haven't seen crossbows to the throat that often. I don't see crossbows in general that often in movies. But then, uh, and then when I do see them, I don't see them often go to the throat. But this was a lot of crossbows to the throat. I I do think that the R rating kind of hurt this movie's box office prospects a little bit because at the end of the day, it is fun to hear Harley Quinn say the F word and it's fun to hear to see people get crossbows to the throat, uh, especially if they're mob characters. But uh, I don't know that it was necessary. Like, what do you, yeah. what do you guys think? Like, could this they, movie be they should do a censored, I feel like they should do a censored kid version and just like have fun bleeps and like unicorns over all the blood or something like really go full tilt with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't they do? I think they did a similar thing for Deadpool, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they yes, did Once yes. Upon a Deadpool or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Do the same thing for this and uh, get out in theaters as soon as humanly possible. Um, yeah, I agree. Because even as someone who obviously is old enough to see an R-rated movie, it just—I don't think that it added enough to the movie to make me be like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm so glad that this was an R-rated film." Yeah. It also seems like a dynamic that would appeal to a lot of people who are not 18 and over. Like, I can imagine a bunch of high school kids being like, this movie looks really fun, let's go watch this, or even, like, middle school kids. So it's a, it's kind of a shame that the R rating does not add that much, and if anything, it's probably a little bit of a hindrance. I will say there was one moment where I appreciated the movie's restraint, and uh, I believe it, it has a uh, woman director, right? Uh, yeah, Kathy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you can tell in one particular moment, and I appreciated it, the moment where the black mask is humiliating that woman and making her stand on the... Oh, yeah. And then it forces her to, to rip her dress off, forces someone else to cut her dress off. I thought certainly we were going to get the gratuitous nudity in that moment. And I appreciated that the movie made that humiliation and the vileness of that evil act land without having to give us you know, the, the full shot of her standing there, uh, on the table. I, I, I thought that was effective mm-hmm. and, it, and it could, they could have with an R rating gone there and I'm glad the movie didn't. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this movie was pretty smart in general about how it kind of, uh, portrayed female bodies. Like, it, I mean, the, like what you raise is a really good point. There's also another scene where Harley Quinn is like clearly wasted and some dude is trying to take advantage of her. And you, and I kind of braced myself for like, Oh, okay. So this is going to be upsetting. And that is not the direction it goes because then black canary uh, inter- intervenes. Um, but in addition to that, I mean, one of the things, one of the striking differences between suicide squad and birds of prey, despite clearly sharing like a kind of shared DNA was, I thought the costuming in this one was a lot better, especially for Harley Quinn, but just in general, I thought that her, I thought it was interesting how her costumes Mm -hmm. in this one feel like clothes that she's picking for herself as opposed to clothes that she's picking, like, you know, with this intention of being leered at by guys. Does that make any sense? Yeah. 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 But Huntress gets a mask for like a minute and a half. And I was like, (laughs) Oh, that's cool. And then we don't ever see it again. And I was like, oh, I want to see that cool Huntress mask. <laughs> Got to save something for the sequel, man. I guess. Got to save yes. it. But I, I think I agree with you all that, like, this is a movie that if it was rated PG-13, it might have made like five or ten million extra dollars of the box office this weekend. And I don't know that they got enough from an artistic standpoint, you know, to, to yeah. not making a PG-13 to justify that difference. 
We cut off um, some faces. Had to cut off some faces. They, but that wasn't even that graphic. You know what I mean? It just it was they, pretty bad. They, I, thought, I don't know. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It got me. It was pretty bad. Like he's introduced in the most upsetting way possible. The the soundest character for sure. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um. So anyway, at the end of the day, seems like we all had fun with this movie, but it didn't uh, necessarily rock our world or or change what we thought was possible with a superhero movie. Um. But hey. On the plus side, remember when having a conversation like this about a DC Comics movie was unthinkable? Like we had this like Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, Justice League, like all in a row, yeah. and that was like pretty rough, guys. Some dark days. Um, but now they've. I think this is like what their fifth movie that they've done that's actually pretty solid, or, or that yeah. certainly that at least people have enjoyed. I'm thinking of Aquaman. I'm thinking of um, Wonder mm-hmm. Woman, uh, Shazam. This movie, yeah. uh, there's one other one that I, I can't Fun recall. movies. Yeah, fun movies. Wonder Woman, uh, the new one is coming out this year. So, like, they've really brought it back, I think, um, to uh, fr- from a pretty rough place. So, I, I actually am looking forward to what they try next. And I would, I, I have to say, you know, Jeff, you might find this uh, objectionable, but I would rather something like this that tries to do something really different and maybe doesn't fully succeed than, you know, yet another Marvel film, I think. Like, just because we've seen so many, over 20 Marvel films that have done pretty close to the same thing. And this movie, it's, it's what, whatever you have to say about this movie, it is very different than the normal Marvel film. Uh, yes. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I think that the key to DC doing this is just not caring about building a universe like just make make yeah, fun movies make good movies just, make good yeah. movies yeah. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that the joker is in one joker movie as one joker and another joker movie is another joker and then this one is just a, a talked about and then animated in some weird way like who cares it, we all get it we all understand who the joker is it doesn't have to be the same actor let marvel do that and i think marvel does it very well uh, i happen to like that stuff but dc Movies can be just these, you know, bespoke things that work. And if if you make them fun and make them interesting and have them do interesting things, then you don't have to worry about that stuff. Angie, what were you going to say? Oh, I mean, yeah, it feels like once DC stopped worrying so much about trying to build their trying to be Marvel, it seems like there was a market improvement. It seems like there was a lot more flexibility for these movies to kind of be their own thing and not stress so much about whether they overlap, even though they do. Like Shazam is clearly set in the same universe as justice league this is clearly set in the same universe as suicide squad but it seems like they've kind of stopped worrying about that too much but the other thing i wanted to say is that if any if other superhero movies including marvel decide to emulate anything from birds of prey echoing what a lot of a lot of what you guys have said already i think i it's the action scenes like it was so refreshing to watch action scenes where i was like oh these feel like these feel like actual action scenes and not just a bunch of like pixels crashing into each other. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And there was some good action in some of the Captain America movies. Right. But, uh, I agree in general, like the, this is uh, probably the best, certainly the best hand to hand combat in any DC, uh, movie and possibly the best hand to hand combat in any superhero film, uh, of recent memory. So, uh, I think that is certainly worth celebrating as well. But yeah, Angie, I think what you're basically trying to say is this movie should have been titled birds of prey or how I stopped worrying and learned to make individually good movies. 
Mm. No, because they stopped <laughs> worrying and learned to make individually good movies a while ago. That's literally what we're talking well, about. Thanks, thanks for stepping on my, you know, wrap up there, Angie. <laughs> Anytime. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, Angie. Okay, that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Birds of Prey. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Uh, and stay tuned to hear what we'll be doing next week. In the meantime, Angie, it's been so fun to have you on. Where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can find my work at mashable.com, and you can also find me on Twitter at AJHAN. How about you, Devendra? Or you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Be sure to check out the Engadget podcast, which I'm co-hosting now. And Jeff Canada? We got more show coming, don't we? We do. Okay, I just want to be that'll clear be very, to the audience. That'll be got... very obvious in the runtime of the podcast episode. Well, think, so. some people just don't pay attention, perhaps. Yeah. I just wanted to look, look, at, look at your podcast player before you switch, is what I say. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I do a video game podcast called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I do a live play Dungeons & Dragons show that is epic storytelling uh, improvised every week. Um, it is something I'm very proud of. I hope you check it out. It's called The Dungeon Run. You can find it as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can find it on YouTube as a video show by searching for The Dungeon Run there. Or you can watch it live as we record Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time live on caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. I am all over the YouTubes this week. Uh, check out my channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. Uh, have a couple videos up there, including my reactions to the Oscars. And I also did a video with Patrick Willems this week. Made a dream come true there. Uh, I uh, recorded a kind of a commentary on his uh, uh, recent video about Robert Zemeckis. Did that with Patrick. You can find that at his channel called Patrick Willems Presents. It's kind of his, his secondary channel. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. So check that out. Can't believe you're saying you, you made his dream come true, Dave. That's I, a little boastful. I said it was, uh, I said it was my dream come true, Jeff. Mm, my, my, mm. my dream. But in any case, so next week, uh, we're going to be doing something a little different. We're going to just do uh, what we've been watching uh, and then uh, have an After Dark episode. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, but be sure to check that out. We're going to be talking about things like Mythic Quest. Uh, Jeff and I watch the things that we told each other to watch, including Cheer and Dracula. Uh, and we'll be talking about McMillions, the new documentary on HBO. So that's what we're going to be chatting about next week on the Slash Homecast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Welcome to the Slash Filmcast After Dark. It's a part of the show that we're bringing back, where we talk about a variety of random topics that we didn't get to during the show. This week, we're going to be talking about the Oscars. So, gents, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I watched the entire Oscar ceremony. It was live tweeting uh -huh. the Oscars. I, I have to say, the Oscars is, in general, like my uh, best night of the year from a Twitter perspective, both in, <laughs> both in terms of the quality of stuff I'm putting out, but also like the engagement. <laughs> On the stuff mm. I'm putting, like it's like the the oh, numbers are yeah, just crazy, yeah. crazy. It's Twitter is super made Bowl. for the Oscars. It's it's basically. my Super Bowl. Like, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's my Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> I mean, what is there to say except if, if that it feels like Dave this year for you on Twitter, <laughs> uh, fourth quarter, 
you were at, at your own 20 and you threw a Hail Mary <laughs> and you won the game. That's what it sounds it feels like to me, maybe perhaps. I just definitely it. it definitely feels like I mean, so I guess let me ask you guys, overall, what do you think of the broadcast? I think that the ratings just came out. They're down 20% from last year, which, by the way, <laughs> was already the lowest uh, that it's ever been. Um, huh, so, it seems weird that maybe uh, when you don't have a host. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of disconnected skits, uh, things just don't fail. Uh, I, I, I think not as... having a host is part of it. I think also, um, in general, the most financially successful movies, like Avengers Endgame, uh, are not a big part of the Oscars, right? Like the the Oscars in general don't honor the movies that make the most money. The the, the movies at the Oscars certainly do well, but like they're not the most successful ones. I um, I genuinely think, Dave, that is a very tiny part of the problem. And I genuinely think if you announced Kevin Hart was hosting the Oscars, there would be a massive audience hmm. for it. All right. Well, we I both, genuinely we both have think Chappelle, Dave Chappelle Oscars would, yeah, <laughs> it would be insane. Yeah. I think honestly that they really underestimate what the billboard of Ellen DeGeneres leaning against the statuette <laughs> and, you know, all of the ads that they do of, you know, mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel, you know, he's going to, I think those things have a big impact on whether people want to tune in or not. It, nobody really cares about the speech from the costume designer. I'm sorry. They do care about the moments. And when you have, you know, very funny people and very unpredictable things and all that stuff. That's, I think that's much more interesting to people than the actual awards. Let me you also th- don't know who to expect for a lot of it. Like they, they got people, you know, they got, they got famous faces to come on, but, and they, some of them did skits. There was, there was a cat skit, but you don't know what to expect when you don't have a host. Right. And like having some base level of expectations would be nice. I mean, I'm also going to put it out there that the theatrical movie going industry is, uh, dying is too strong of a word, but declining. Mm. Um, and people like young people are watching fewer and fewer movies. This is a statistical fact. Listen, and listen, so Mr. The- Quibby. Okay. <laughs> I saw those Quibby ads too. They didn't yeah. brainwash me. I'm just saying that Dave is saying that they need more influencers and YouTube stars. <laughs> in the Oscars. I think uh, I'm just saying that I, you know, actually every, all the reasons we just gave Jeff, I think are equally plausible and it's probably, probably some combination of all of them. But yeah. Jeff, what did you think of the overall broadcast? Do you have any, I, well, I will be completely honest and say, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to be able to put my finger on what it is. If it's just, the fact that I have young kids now and, and I'm, my time is more, yeah. uh, you know, taken or, or just where I am in my life. But I find myself some, as somebody who used to look forward to the Oscars in a, in a way, it sounds like you still do just really not caring anymore. And, and it, it, it makes me feel sad because we do the show and I, I, I feel bad even saying it because I care deeply about movies and I care deeply about the industry and, and, quality entertainment and i love films that move me and and this year had a lot of films that we were all really passionate about in the running and actually you know it didn't mm-hmm. feel like the cynical well i don't know i there was a pall of of joker all hanging over it for me for sure but um i just find myself n- not putting a lot of stock in this award or really any awards anymore like I used to, I used to think they were important and now I just really don't. I, right. I really don't. Well, even the pageantry of it too. Like I'm just, I'm bored by the Oscar broadcast. Like occasionally 
we'll get something crazy. We'll get the La La Land and Moonlight situation, which I'm yeah. very glad I was sitting there and watching that live. Like, so I usually just leave it on in the background. Like this year, I, you know, I was watching it. I was also writing and doing other work. Um, most of the interstitial stuff outside of the awards, I didn't really care about. Like Eminem popped up at one point and that seemed 20 years too late for an award he never picked up and he never performed at the show apparently so people were saying like oh this is a a late there appearance so many for people him. so many people God. saying like when is Eminem finally going to get his chance to shine at the at the Oscar ceremony yeah um yeah. not really but anyway uh, not really so jeff do you it think it turns out you don't only got one shot <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah so jeff uh are you saying you don't care about like the outcome of the awards or the ceremony the broadcast itself or both. I, I I feel bad saying this, but I I really don't care about the outcome of the awards. I, mean, I, I really don't. I, I, I yeah. really don't anymore. I used to care deeply about them, and I just don't think it means anything. I really don't. Mm-hmm. And now, and I don't want to take anything away because I think this year was a really magical moment and really unexpected. And uh, I think that that's pretty awesome. And I did watch <laughs> watched like a. a 10 minute cut down of all the important parts. Nice. Uh, that's what I watched. That's and the I got, way to do it. You know, yeah. it, it really felt like I saw the entire ceremony in, in 10 minutes. Um, but mm-hmm. man, I, you know, that night I, I turned to my wife and I was like, I don't, I don't even want to turn the television on. Like it, it doesn't. And she's like, yeah, I'm not really interested either. And Can we, we just you know, stare at a blank box. Or we night. just, you know, hung out with our kids and like wrestled yeah. on the floor and did that stuff. And that's, but most evenings are until they go to bed. So, you know, I, I feel bad. And I know that, um, that a lot of people tuning into this podcast care, still care deeply about the Academy Awards, but I have found myself moving farther and farther away from, and it's not just this year. It's been over the course of, of several years now where I just, it just doesn't seem to mean anything to me. Well, they, they've also certainly disappointed us quite a bit at times too. Like with green book last year, I think with a lot of the Joker nominations this year, I was, pretty disappointed with like where things were headed. So I just keep it on for those, for those brief surprises. And I was happy. Like I was laying on the floor, just super tired last night as they were reading best picture. I was like, okay, like this is going to be once upon a time. It's going to be something. <laughs> it's going to be something and, that disappoints yeah. us basically. And well, when, hold, on, yeah. hold on. Let's, let's yeah, get to that. Before we get to that though, um, let's talk about the rest of the, so, and we will get to it. Devinder, trust me. Um, the, uh, a t- totally defensible position, Jeff. That's fine. So we won't be hearing too much from you during this after dark. Then. <laughs> right. and that's okay. Uh, I think. You, and and, and it, I will say one more quick thing. I will say, one of the things I remember being so excited about with the Oscars was what the opening thing was going to be from the host. Yeah. And I think that that's really a loss. I think that's a loss and it's, it's uh-huh. unfortunate. So, uh, I, I think it's totally defensible because the Oscars are extremely political and, um, uh, people win for all kinds of different reasons. People win because of luck. Sometimes people win because you know, advertising, advertising, and maybe their Lobbying thing did a better campaign than other people. It's just like, it's it, at the same time as it is, in my opinion, the most kind of artistically defensible awards in the sense that like the people that are actually in the industry are voting for them. Uh, it's it's also subject to any of the number of vagaries that can impact other awards and and is subject to influence by all these things that aren't uh, a function of how artistically valuable things are. And so I, I can totally understand not caring about them. Um, and 
there, there, and another thing is we've also seen that oftentimes the movies that are the most culturally significant or culturally relevant are not honored at the Oscars, right? And so yeah. it's just like uh, there is a question of how relevant they are, uh, especially mm-hmm. in a quibby age, in a post quibby age. <laughs> in a how, re- age. how relevant are the yeah. Oscars going to be? Right? Those commercials so, were really, really selling that service. I love <laughs> there was there was the one uh, who was who was present in that in that one, but there there was one where like. Uh, Mr. President, uh, a comet is going to destroy the Earth in 10 minutes. And she, everybody just pulls out their phones and watches their Quibi shows because that's the last thing you want to do on this <laughs> Earth and not like call your family. This I sort of defended what Quibi was doing out of CS just because I was into the tech of it. But they are so they're so like dumb about this whole thing. Like they're just forcing this 10 minute entertainment on us and assuming everyone's going to bite on it. And it's just, it's so silly, but I, I, I don't want to talk as much about Quibi. Have you guys seen the independent spirit award stuff that's been coming out? Because that is an award show. Yeah. That seems like it's a ton of fun. Like Aubrey Plaza hosting. You got like great sequences. Like they're, I don't know if you've Adam seen this, Sandler but Adam Sandler won an award and gave a great yeah. speech. The great Farewell speech. won, which is amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. And also, Laura, did you see the Laura Dern? Yeah, uh, the Laura Dern uh, choir like, performance. Like, there's yeah. this great musical sequence that kind of honors everybody, but it's also, like, all about honoring the glory of Laura Dern. This so... Those awards are so weird. It seems like it's set in, like, an airplane hangar. Like, I've been <laughs> a lot of weird, like, um, event spaces here in New York. And it seems like one of... That's probably L.A. But it seems like one of those weird things that just it is not flashy at all. It seems like during the day, it is an airplane hangar. And they just threw some seats in there. But it seems like they're having fun. Whereas nobody in the Oscars really, really seems like that. So, uh, early on, things started heating up when... Bong Joon-ho won the award for best screenplay. That was a shock to me. I did not think that he was going to win that award. And when he won, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and then he he wins for best international film, which like I think everyone expected that. Everyone expected yeah, sure. the Parasite would win. That was going to be the consolation prize. That was going to be the consolation prize for not winning uh, right. Best Picture, best, right? Yeah, that's or, how or everything goes, right? That's right, how the yeah. world should work, yeah. I guess. And then, uh, so then, like, we should acknowledge that, like, Joaquin Phoenix won uh, for Best Actor, and I, you know, I was pretty harsh on his speech on the night of on Twitter, but looking back on it, I appreciate that he was trying to use his platform to kind of speak yeah. out for... Speaking uh, from the heart. Speaking it from is heart, not... It, it's yeah. not the message that I had a problem with. It's like the delivery of it, you know. But if you just... didn't think he was going to do that, you hadn't been watching all the other award speeches that he had been given this entire season. <laughs> no, no, I know, I, I have every seen every single one of them. I have seen that. them, and I was dreading. I was dreading yeah. it. I was dreading this, and and it it wasn't great. But it was. I, I would say it was better than Renee Zellweger's speech. Oh which God, yeah. I thought that, was, was, that felt like it went on for hours. Almost. It was pain- like, That it, was painful. It was, it was harsh. Yeah, um, it was really nice to see Laura Dern. Either win. of you, uh, sorry, ahead. have either of you seen Judy? No, I have not. Yeah, yeah, me neither. I'm curious, uh, but yeah, I have seen. Uh, it was really nice to see Laura Dern uh, win uh, the the best supporting actress and kind of acknowledge uh, her mother um, as well. And that was like it was a very touching moment. And then Pong Joon Ho wins best director. And what a great speech oh, that was! So yeah. good, so be- very, very moving speech. He acknowledges like Martin Scorsese, who uh, is probably the best director alive today, right? And everyone gives him a standing ovation. 
Um, and it's very moving. And I, I will say that despite him uh, using a translator, his Bong Joon Ho speeches were short, uh, you know, uh, heartfelt to the point. You know, he he got in, he got somebody, out. Somebody that knows how to use a translator effectively. Yes, yes. Was he had time to think. He had time to think. Beautifully, yeah. Beautifully timed, beautifully punctuated translator who knew how to handle the situation. <laughs> that is that is an art that is underappreciated. That that yes. is not an easy thing to do. As somebody that has watched many, many, many video game uh, speeches that are gone through translators, it is off. It is harder to pull off well than you might yeah. think and uh that it flowed it was beautiful it it, it was in wonderfully digestible chunks and it, it it had a rhythm to it that was great yeah and i love that the thing he said about i wish i had a texas chainsaw to <laughs> cut this into chunks to give a piece to everybody that that was a beautiful thing to say a texas chainsaw instead of just a check yeah that was great. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. And then I'm like, okay, well, we're just going to see a repeat of what happened last year where Roma won Best uh, International Film and Best Director, and then the, the best, best Picture goes to some random other movie that's probably not as deserving. That, like, that's kind of what I had resigned myself to, right? Devendra, I assume you... Uh, we're experiencing no, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're like, yeah. okay. But that's best fine. director seems like uh, I'm sure you were already feeling like that's pretty yes. awesome. Oh, yes. oh, what an amazing yeah. night already! Like I would have yeah. been super happy if that was where it ended. You know, like that's great. That's great. And then Jane Fonda gets on stage, and we should say like her delivery was excellent. Right? She is a goddess. <laughs> yes, she's a goddess. Get that I tension I, up there. Study yeah. that. Study her reading out. The best picture winner, and it is like she opens the envelope. You you have a split second to see the emotion register, and then she looks directly at the winners, and then you know says "parasite" in a very kind of firm, but also like a very uh, a, a tone that's kind of in awe as well. And I freaked the fuck out when that happened. <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know about you, Devendra, but like I was like jumping up and down um there was tears yeah. there's tears because... i couldn't do that because of because of the baby but i definitely shut up and said holy shit out loud <laughs> i i, I think if someone had asked me if i had to make one wager for my life on best picture <laughs> and i could pick parasite or the field like that was my choice <laughs> yeah. my choices you know what i mean yeah or, or, or you know, I, I, I mean, I guess that's not a, not no way to. The point I'm trying to make is, I thought because it is up for best international film, that yeah. is, there's no chance. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like there's Same. no chance. Same. It's like, hey, we already honored it with the best international. That, yes. that way, we don't we don't quote unquote have to honor it with the best. We don't picture. have to use up a spot yes. later because we it's got its own category that it wins best picture for. You know, yeah. that has been the case multiple times with uh, foreign language films that have broken through to be considered in the best picture category. Almost always, they just own that international category and then it feels like, oh, we, you know, we awarded it. So I feel like I would have, I would have put all my money on anything <laughs> but Parasite. You know should, what I'm saying? I should out, I actually looked up the odds and 1917 was heavily favored to win. Uh, but Parasite was actually number two, so it wasn't actually as oh, wow. unlikely as I think a lot of people thought it was. But yeah, I, I thought uh, uh, 1917, I think, had won both the Producers Guild and Writers Guild, I want to say. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I think it did really well at those awards. So it was it was the heavy favorite 
um, coming into this ceremony. And uh, it's uh, it's indescribable. I, I think I just want to explain like why it was such a powerful moment because – First of all, I mean, and just to be hundred percent clear, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not South Korean, but I I have been a big fan of Pong Joon Ho's movies for decades at this point. I've always been a huge fan and tried to champion his movies any any chance I get. Um, and uh, the fact that Parasite won Best Picture, uh, number one, means like at from this point forward, the Best Picture winner can come from anywhere, literally anywhere in the world. And that's just not something I've ever felt before. You know, like I feel like mm-hmm. anything is possible now, you know, um, it, it, going for it like next year or the year after it's like, oh, well, so certainly this movie is going to win. It's like, well, it could, it could literally be anything. And that's very like invigorating and exciting. But mm-hmm. also it's an acknowledgement that, uh, that this movie that's told by uh, these Asian filmmakers with these Asian actors, um, it was so good. It was so good. That even like going up against movies that starred Meryl Streep and Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and Sear Sharonin and Laura Dern, whatever, like movies directed by Quentin Tarantino that have made hundreds of millions of dollars. Parasite's only made like 35 so far. Uh, that despite those insuperable odds, this movie is so good that everyone could still recognize its quality and honor it. And there's something really special about that. Like, if you watch the reaction in the audience when Parasite is called out, uh, I think Shea Serrano tweeted, it's like when the home team wins at the playoffs. Like, everyone mm-hmm. was just so excited about it. Uh, and, it, yeah, it, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment that I never thought I would see in my life of, like, all these amazing Asian people taking the stage and accepting the award for Best Picture. Uh, I will never forget it. So, uh, anyway, all that said, Jeff, I understand you didn't care too much about it. <laughs> no, I feel bad. I, mean, I, 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 think it's, I think you spoke beautifully just now, and I think that's a wonderful thing. And I, that's why I felt a little guilty even expressing how I feel because I, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to take anything away from that. I think. Oh, that's, you can't. Oh, you can't, Jeff. You can't. No, I, so okay. I don't. I mean, don't frame it that way. I don't mean to say. I, <laughs> I'm just saying that I, you know, I, I just, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. L- let you let that be the last word, or, or or whatever you guys continue to say. But I, I'm so happy for that. And even just reading the winner shocked me and made me happy, uh, especially for you guys who I know love that movie so so mm-hmm. much. Um, and and I'm you know I I really expected it to be like Joker or something, yeah. and I'd just be like, all right, here we go, another year. <laughs> God, like Joker, I was expecting more of a Joker sweep. So Joker got what best actor, which that was at least a good performance in a bad movie. Like I, I'll give it that. I was shocked Joker got best score. Um, yeah, a notable thing for being a female composer for that. But I honestly forgot that movie had a score. Like I, nothing about it left much of an impact on me. I think but... the score is great in that movie. Yeah. I'm just gonna put. I'm just gonna say I think the score is great. It's very atmospheric. It's very moody. It's very upsetting. I think. I, I'm just like I'm not joking. I literally do not remember the score of that movie. <laughs> like it's, I don't know it's... if I was just like trying to push it out of like push the entire movie out of my mind as I was watching it. Even as they played the bits of that score uh, for the awards thing, I was like, oh, that's okay. I guess I heard this score at some point this year. <laughs> it's, it's very just so atmospheric, Devendra. It's very atmospheric. Sure. But uh, the the net result of last night's Academy Awards ceremony is that like more people are going to watch Parasite. Uh, 
I was at Trader yeah. Joe's today, yeah, and uh, people were talking about how, hey, uh, did you see the Oscars last night? And then, like, wh- the, the the cashier at Trader Joe's was like, the right film won, and that made me really happy to hear. <laughs> and uh, I think my my I read online that they're Trader like, Joe's, <laughs> very well known for their great taste in films. You know, that's I've had a lot of great movie great, great taste in snacks movies. and in movies, Jeff. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think Neon is probably going to do another theatrical release of the movie is my understanding. They're going to try to push it out into more theaters and uh, that's really exciting and, and that's kind of the power that the Academy Awards <laughs> can still wield is whoever wins Best Picture, it does lead to a bump in the box office and um, that's going to be very exciting to see. But I think in also... Casting their votes for Parasite, the Academy Award, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences voted for the future as well. You know, like the future in which um, storytelling and storytellers come from a wider variety of places than they have in the past, and that's very exciting and encouraging. Yeah, so. I mean, I would I would hope so. I had the same feelings after Moonlight, and then what did we get? You know, we got a green book. We got we got a couple things. I feel like maybe we'll see it back and forth. Maybe we'll see it. Yeah, maybe the pendulum year. will swing back the yeah. other way. Yeah. yeah I do yeah. just so, want to say uh, before we wrap up that like I got a lot of nice emails and maybe we'll read them on the next episode. But like uh, we got several nice emails from people who have been listening to us for a long time that like they th- their first thought when they saw Parasite One was to think of like what our reaction would be. And uh, like some people <laughs> logged on Twitter and they tweeted at me like, I literally just logged on to see what your reaction to the parasite would be. And that was very sweet to get those emails and we really appreciate it. But um, anyway, uh, historic night. People have been saying, by the way, this is like New York Times said this is the first foreign language movie to win Best Picture. But uh, that that I have to say that is a little confusing to me because like The Artist, for instance, won a few years ago. That didn't have any. Um, it had English. Uh, it had like English subtitles, parts. but it had no. Yeah. It had no uh, uh, spoken yeah. language. Don't, so maybe don't take that's... this award away from yourself, Dave. Come on. <laughs> right, what are you enough. doing right now? Fair enough. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, we got to wrap up here, but uh, just want to talk a little about the Oscars. And uh, if you were as excited as I was, uh, I'm glad. And we we all had to, got to have this moment together. So uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>